Go ahead and be seated. If you brought your Bible, we are in John chapter 15 today. If you did not bring a Bible, don't worry. We prepared for you to be here. Everything that I read from Scripture will be on the screens behind me, so it'll be really easy for you to follow along. If you got the Bible app on your smartphone, another really easy place to follow along. Pull your notes out of your bulletin so you can take notes today. Um, at some point, if you haven't already, download the Journey app. That will allow the notes in your bulletin to be on your phone. You can take notes through your phone and then save that at the end of the service so you can go back and look at it later. Um, let me remind you of this. We kick off kind of our spiritual year at Journey next Monday morning with our week of prayer. Um, every January, we set aside a week to pray as a church. We will pray Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Here, we'll also have our prayer services online. There's about 10 minutes of worship, about a 12-minute prayer devotional, and then we will put a prayer journal in your hand next week that will allow you to have nearly 30 minutes of guided private prayer time every day, and then we'll come back and pray together, and you'll always be dismissed by 6.59 or, or 7 a.m. Um, so we want you to join us. Begin your 2023 year by asking God to be a part of it in a really, really big way. If you say, Christian, I, I could never pray for an hour. I don't know how. We'll teach you how, and I believe it'll be your favorite week of the month. Um, so make sure next week you grab that prayer journal. If you can be here all five days, Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 a.m., Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m., we'd love to have you. If you can only join us online part-time or all the time, um, spend the week of January 23 praying for all of 2023. Uh, I promise you it'll be worth it for you spiritually. We're in week two of a series today in John chapter 15 called Thrive, where we are trying to learn to live with the spiritual heart of Jesus. Too many people get to the end of every year and say, I just, I'm glad I made it through another year. Followers of Jesus are not supposed to, at the end of every year, just be glad that they made it through another year. We are supposed to have life to the fullest. We are supposed to have like life abundantly. We are supposed to thrive spiritually. So this series is about what it takes to thrive spiritually. And we are learning how to live with minnow, not the small fish that you might fish for bigger fish with, but a Greek word, M-E-N-O, that means to live inside or make your home inside of. Jesus said last week, if we would minnow in him, if we would live inside a relationship with Jesus, he would live inside us, he would minnow inside us, and we would experience life to the fullest. So we're asking the question, how do we live inside of Jesus? Last week's Bible study uh, title was at home with Jesus. We learned how to make our home with Jesus. This week, our Bible study title is at home with others because we're going to learn how Jesus will say, if you will live inside spiritual community you will remain close to me. Our key text has been John 15. We're in verses 9 through 12 today. We'll read them and then we'll go over them again and again and again and again as we teach today. John 15, 9 says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that your joy, that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I said last week, before I could teach through the text, I had to teach to the text. I had to let you know what we were talking about. So we're in the middle of a conversation that began in John chapter 13 in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. And he is teaching them in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 that he's going away to prepare a place for them, but that he's going to come back, and he's teaching them how to live with him while he's gone. 
He basically is teaching us the practical spiritual reality of how to be with Jesus between his ascension to heaven and his second coming. This is a time frame that we are still living in. So these scriptures are super applicable to us. Anyone who is living from the time Jesus ascended to heaven and the time Jesus comes back to earth needs to know how to live with Jesus through this text. And that's what we're trying to learn. That's the big idea. How do I connect with Jesus every day until he comes back? As we've moved through this series, we said the goal of this series is to help you thrive spiritually. Inside your bulletin, I, I put this little thrive graphic that we've created for you to kind of understand the heart and what we believe is the spiritual importance of this series. The backside of this I gave to you every Sunday in December, and I said, I want you to evaluate your 2022 relationship with Jesus and come into 2023 with a hunger and a desire to learn the five main areas that we walk our faith out with Jesus, our daily time of God, spiritual community, prayer, fasting, serving others, and generosity. We will teach on all of those in this series. But here's what you need to understand. You need to see this more as a heart than what looks like a wagon wheel. What Jesus is going to teach us in Scripture is if our heart beats through the spiritual arteries that Jesus has given us to do life with him, every experience we have in life, good, bad, or in between, will be impacted by the life of Jesus. No matter what we experience in life, if our heart is beating through the arteries of daily time with God and prayer and fasting and spiritual community and generosity and serving others, no matter what we experience in life, it will be saturated with who Jesus is. But you need to see these arteries flow both ways. And some of you have clogged arteries. Because if your relationship with Jesus is not beating through these arteries so that all of your life is impacted by Jesus, your life experiences are ramming their way into your relationship with Jesus through the exact same artery. And some of you are having hardened arteries, and in 2022 it felt like you were having a spiritual heart attack because you would not say your spiritual life is defined by everything in life that you experience is impacted by Jesus. You would say your life with Jesus is impacted by what you experience in life because the blood is flowing the wrong direction. So this series is trying to figure out how can our heart beat for Jesus through these avenues and these arteries in a way that allows us to thrive in life Because Jesus impacts everything that we experience. Last week we talked about daily time with God. Today we're going to talk about spiritual community. And we're going to look at two things in these few verses. We're going to look at the example of the father and son as the example of spiritual community. And then we're going to look at the joy of spiritual community. But I'm going to teach you what I call the sucker punch of COVID in church. That I think has damaged spiritual community in a powerful way in at least the American church from 2022 to 2023. So as we dig into this, we're going to start, number one, with the example of the father and the son. The example of the father and the son when it comes to thriving in spiritual community. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. Now, here's what you need to know. I wrestled all this week trying to figure out how to teach the practical aspects of these two verses to you without teaching all the underlying theology of them. Um, I wanted to be able to say, here's what these two verses are saying, and here's what they mean for you. But I could not get to a point where I could make that make sense to you without teaching the underlying foundation first. 
So we're going to have to do a little bit of deep work today biblically. Here's how I would say this. A basic understanding of the doctrines of the Trinity and the doctrines of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus' death are necessary to process the example of the Father and the Son. Jesus says, here's how I want you to love people, like the Father loved me. If you don't know anything about the Trinity, you don't even know what that means. Jesus says, I need you to follow my commands like I followed the commands of my Father. If you don't know anything about the substitutionary atonement of, of like Jesus, you won't know what that means for you. So as much as I wanted to just be able to make it practical, today we, we've got to be able to do a little bit of homework in theology. I've had people say to me for almost 20 years that they believe one of my gifts is being able to take complex things and make them simple. I don't know if that's one of my gifts. I do know that's my goal. Uh, my goal every Sunday is not to impress you with how much I know, but to impact you with who God is. Um, any Sunday you leave, this church or any church, thinking about how smart the pastor is, the pastor has missed the mark of the message. Uh, our goal is never to make you think much of us. Our job is to make you think much of Jesus. So my goal is not to convince you what I know. My, my goal is to convince you that God is great. And I, and I need to teach a little bit of theology to do that. I'm going to try to break it down at a very simple level. I don't want to teach anything that's over your head. But to help me, you might sit up just a little straighter because this might be a few inches more over your head than like maybe my normal teaching is. Because we got to dig into some what I, what I call basic. Uh, if I was teaching... A full doctrinal approach to the Trinity, it would take a semester. You have to take a semester class on that in Bible college sometime. If I was teaching completely through the substitutionary atonement of Christ, it would, it would take months. So I'm going to try in minutes to give you a really basic understanding of these doctrines so that we can understand these verses. Look at verse 9 one more time. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Here's what you need to understand. You cannot know what those verses mean, nor can you be impacted by those verses, unless you know a little bit about the Trinity. So let's roll up our sleeves and dig in just a little bit theologically today, okay? The Trinity is the threefold manifestation of one God as Father, Son, and Spirit, taken straight from my textbook 20 years ago that I studied while I was in seminary. The Trinity is the threefold manifestation of one God in Scripture— but is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's how we see God in the Bible. It is one God who exists in three distinct and co-equal persons that the church has created a bunch of terrible examples to try to say it's like this. I will say this, it's like nothing on planet Earth. But I've heard things like this. At Christmas this year, my mom and dad visited from just south of Chicago. And when we were sitting at Christmas opening gifts, kind of three generations of family, you could say in that room I was one person, but I was a son, was a husband to my wife, and I was a father to my kids. You say I was one person who had three roles. That's true, but that, that's not who I've been for like all of my life. Those are roles that I have more than natures that were like in me. So it's a really poor example um, I've heard people say, um, you know, the, the thought of the Trinity is kind of like a cup of ice water. It's like the H2O molecules in a cup of ice water that's already been half, half drank. And I said, help me understand that. They're like, well, you have H2O in, in ice cube form, you have H2O in liquid form, and you have evaporating H2O in like air form. Like you have three forms, three different forms of H2O molecules in this one cup of half full ice water. And it's like, 
Okay, I get that, but I don't know that you would compare God to that. I, I had a seminary professor who compared God to an egg. An egg is like one egg, but it's like three parts. It's the hard shell, and it's the yolk, and it's the white substance. And it's like, I don't know. Like, to compare God to an egg, um, you might say, like, this is your brain, and this is your brain on drugs. Like, like you don't, you, like, I don't know that I'd compare God to an egg. I think I would compare God to what the Bible says God is. And the Bible teaches that God is manifested and that we see him through the understanding of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm going to give you some what I call Trinity tips, but I don't like even how I've put this on your sermon notes. I've been working it in my head all week long. I think I've come to a better place. I call these a few Trinity tips for confused Christians, but I, won't, I don't like the term confused Christians because I, I don't know that we don't understand the Trinity because it's confusing. I thought about calling this Trinity Tips for difficult doctrine, but it's really not difficult doctrine. Um, it's not confusing. It's actually very clear. The Bible just lays it out to us. I think what I would call this are Trinity Tips that are divine. They're beyond us. They're like God things that we're not going to understand with our human mind because there's nothing in our human mind numerically that makes three one, but this is kind of what the Bible says God is. So let's look at some of these things. The word Trinity first does not even appear in the Bible. It's a theological term to try to capture how we see and understand the God of the Bible. Sometimes we see him as God the Father. Other times we understand him as God the Son. We understand God through Jesus. Other times we understand God through the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is not a word or something that's taught in the Bible, but it's a theological term to try to capture who God is. But you've got to be careful in saying God either is Father, Son, or Spirit. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three different gods. Nor are they three different modes that God has. That's called modalism. There are some people who believe God was the Father until Jesus was born. And then God the Father went away and God was just the Son until Jesus was crucified. And then when the Holy Spirit came, there is no more Father, Son. Like the Holy Spirit it, like, is now the only manifestation of God. That's modalism. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's not true. So we've got to be really careful there. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Scripture are all presented as fully God, and they're all presented as fully eternal, existing in relationship with one another. I would say letter C, when it comes to understanding basic doctrine about the Trinity, that it takes both faith and humility to believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, but the truth and the practice of it are crucial to understanding Christianity. You've got to have faith, you've got to have humility. But I don't know that you can understand Christianity without understanding God as Father, Son, and Spirit. Origen, the church father who was born in northern Africa in 185 A.D. and died in Lebanon in 253 A.D., would say that the way Christians understand salvation is absolutely impossible apart from a basic understanding of the Trinity. Um, I had a friend from Pakistan more than a decade ago that I was having lunch with at La Fuente down the road, and his biggest leap in converting from his Muslim background to Christianity was that he believed Christianity was polytheistic. He said, I just don't understand how you can have three gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I said, we, in Christianity, we don't believe all three of those are different gods. We believe that the three make up one God. And he said, but how does that make sense? And I said, I don't know. I just know that's what the Bible teaches. And I know like going on a diet... Um, you got to believe that it works first and then start walking in it, and then you're going to see the result of it. 
Like the faith you have to place in the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is a belief that you have. And then as you begin to walk in it through Scripture, it begins to make more sense to you. But it is really hard to explain. But I would say letter D, the primary transferable truths, the things you can explain, things that are pretty easy to talk about, about the Trinity are relational and roles. So how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interact with one another, we see that pretty clear in Scripture. And their spiritual roles throughout spiritual history, you can usually see pretty clearly. But it takes a basic understanding of the Trinity to even understand John 15, 9. So some of you are in um, Bible reading groups. Uh, We just today finished the book of Job. For the nearly thousand of you reading through your Bible in a year, here's what you need to know from me as your pastor. If I was putting together a Bible reading plan for you, reading through the Bible for the first time ever, I probably would not have started with Job. Um, But if you've made it that far... One, you not only have knocked out one of 66 today, but you've knocked out one of the hardest of the 66. Good job. Keep going. But we started the first three days of the year in Genesis. I already had my first Bible reading kind of accountability group for the year with some of the men that I'm reading through with. Um, And I loved it because one of them brought up Genesis chapter 1 and 2, something you'd need to know about the Trinity to understand. One of his questions was, hey, in Genesis 1, when God was creating, it says, God said, let us Make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Who's us and our? Great question. It's in the first chapter of the Bible. That is the Trinitarian God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit talking to each other. Genesis eleven seven that we picked up on, right, uh, that, that we kind of left off on um, at the Tower of Babel. God said, let us go down and confuse their language or they're never going to have a dependence to kind of lean into God. Who's us? Great question. That is the Trinitarian God that we see presented in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, Jesus is baptized. And it said Jesus was baptized in the water. And while he was coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit was descending from heaven like a dove. And the Father was speaking in heaven. There we see all three at the exact same time. God the Son is in the water. God the Holy Spirit is between heaven and earth. God the Father is in earth. We see a picture of all three of them at one time living on this mission together. We are taught in the New Testament church when we baptize followers of Jesus, Matthew 28, 19 to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So like, we can't skip Trinity 101 because it's just all over the Bible. We have to have a basic understanding of it. But for us, the understanding of the Trinity is not just for the Trinity because believe it or not, this message is not about the Trinity. This message is about thriving spiritually with Jesus. And Jesus in John 15, 9 says, here's how I love you, how God loves me. So we would need to say, well, how does God love you? in order to know how God loves us. So we need a foundation of the Trinity. So relationally, here's what you need to know about Jesus' statement in John 15, 9. God the Father and God the Son have existed and will exist in a relationship of perfect love and perfect spiritual community for all of eternity. They were together before the world was created. They'll be together after the world was created. And here's what you need to know about the Trinitarian God. It exists, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in this relationship of perfect love. Every moment of every day, pursuing one another with love. Every moment of every day, receiving love from one another. Every moment of every day, living in submission and honor and worship and protection. You could say, theologically speaking, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have never even had a moment that they have been alone except possibly 
The moment on the cross where Jesus appeared to have God the Father's back turned on him. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in this moment? They live in perfect spiritual love, perfect spiritual community all day, every day for all of eternity. They are all about each other in this beautiful blended relationship. Jesus says, if you ever wonder how I love you, I love you like God loves me. Like just all day, every day, I'm pursuing you. All day, every day, I'm about serving you. All day, every day, I'm about receiving honor and worship from you. Like if you've ever wondered how I love you, you just need to know it's the way God loves me. So we need to understand just a little bit of Trinitarian doctrine so that we can understand that. Because when we understand that Jesus loves us like God loves him and we know how the Trinity loves and lives in relationship with each other, we're like, whoa, that's way more than I thought Jesus loved me. John 15, 10 is the exact same way. Jesus said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. Jesus is telling us we keep his commands like he kept God's commands. I will say again, this can't mean to us what it's supposed to mean until we know what the mission of Jesus was in God's eyes and the commands that he kept. Only when we understand how Jesus kept his commands... Can we understand how we are supposed to keep our commands? And we learn this through the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Just theology 101, we would say substitutionary atonement is Jesus taking the sinner's place on the cross to appease the wrath of God as payment for our sin. The word atone means to cover. Substitute means substitute. That God chose a substitute to cover our sin so that we could be connected to him. This doctrine is unpacked more fully in Romans 3, 25, and 26. I'm going to read these verses together. Then I'm going to talk about them one at a time. And I think you'll see the picture of substitutionary atonement, especially if you've ever spent any time around church or you grew up in church. Listen to how Paul tells the church in Rome about substitutionary atonement. He says, God presented him, that's Jesus, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, let me make it a little more simple for you. Let's throw it back to verse 25 on the screen if we can. I want you to see the words in yellow. Because this would remind the Jewish people, this is always how God has acted towards us. The word mercy seat um, is the word hilarious, st hilarious stone, which literally was the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies. The high priest of Israel once a year would go to this place for atonement for God to cover your sin, and it was called the mercy seat because that was the place where God gave you what you did not deserve, which would be death for sin. The Jews celebrated this concept every year at a holiday called the Day of Atonement, which on our American calendars is Yom Kippur. So like the Jews would have heard that God uses the mercy seat to cover over people's sins so they don't have to pay for them. The Jews would have said, of course, we celebrate that every year in October. We know how that's how God works. Um, God chooses to cover our sins. We know he did that the very first time in Exodus chapter 12 when he passed over the firstborn sons of Israel. So literally in this verse, Paul is reminding the Jewish people not just of their doctrine, but of their holidays. 
the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the Festival of Passover, which would have been the two times most sacred in the Jewish people's lives, for them to remember, sin separates us from God, but God covers that up because God does not want us to pay for our sins. He allows us to choose a substitute. He said we could pay for our sins or we could choose a lamb that would pay the penalty of sin and we could be saved. So the Jewish people know this is how God works. God wants to be close to us, so he has to cover our sin, and he doesn't want us to die, so he chooses a substitute. Is how God has always worked. They just had no idea that God would use the Jewish Messiah to fulfill his plan of redemption. And in verse 26, we see two other words that we really need to understand. It said, this is the only way God could be just and the only way he could justify us. What does that mean? The only way we could really say that God is a good God is if he punishes evil. So for God to be just, he has to punish sin. The only way God can be just is not to say our sin is no big deal, but to punish evil because evil hurts people. God is just in punishing our sin in Jesus, which allows him to justify us, treat us as if we were perfect even when we weren't. So Jesus pays for our death. Jesus gives us his righteousness. The only thing that allows us to live in relationship with God is he's got this heart to cover our sin, to not punish us, but he's got to punish some way, so he punishes Jesus. He gives us his righteousness. He allows us to live together with him. That is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. It's all over the New Testament. Jesus' mission was to come die for our sins. Galatians 3.13 says it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. Christ came to die for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it very clearly. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus says, I need you to keep my commands like I kept God's commands. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus perfectly kept God the Father's command and completed his spiritual work for us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The point of this message is not what I just told you. But I cannot get to the point of this message without you having some basic understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. So if we go back to John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, let me show you what I wanted to teach you without having to tell you that, but I didn't think I could without a basic understanding of the Trinity and the substitutionary atonement. John 15, 9 and 10 says this. Get your pen ready. As the Father has loved me, circle that, those three words, has loved me, so have I loved you. Circle those three words, have I loved now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. In verse 10, circle the three words, keep my commands. Here's where I would have liked to have jumped off on this message. The words has loved and have loved, almost the exact same Greek word. It's the word agepison, has loved, agepisa, have loved. Both of these verbs are in the aortist tense, which is a tense, a verb tense in the Greek language, which means it's something that was completed in the past that benefits you in the present when you run across it. So I would say it this way. Both of these verbs are in the aortist tense, which means they signify the perfection or the completeness of the action that God and Jesus took. An action they took in the past that impacts your present and your future when you interact with it. Let me give you a very kind of rudimentary illustration of how this could work. 
a completed action in your past that impacts your present. So I think twice in the last 20 years, during the holiday season, I've been going through the drive-through is someplace like Chick-fil-A. Some of you need prayer because Chick-fil-A has been closed for 10 days and Lee Summit and we have a whole nother week and some of you are like praying, praying and fasting just because it's not open and it's all yeast. So we're like, we're, we're praying for you. But every now and then, like during the holiday season, you might go to Chick-fil-A. I think it's happened to me twice. And you get to the window and the person at the window says something like this. They give you your food and they say, hey, the car in front of you paid for your meal and wants, just wants us to say Merry Christmas. I've had that happen like twice. Something that they did before I got there impacted me once I showed up. That's the thought of this word, that completed action. Jesus did something before you got to the spot that once you got to the spot impacted you if you would receive it. So you get to the window and someone says, hey, the person in front of you paid for your meal. One time I had someone say, hey, the person in front of you paid for your meal. Would you like to pay for the person behind you? I said, let me check. And I, so I checked my rearview mirror to make sure it like, wasn't a homeschool family with 20 kids like in a big white van. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, what did they order? Did they get a cookie? It's like, like what? Well, yeah, maybe. Let me think about it. How much was it? Um, it was like, hey, so, like, somebody has done something for you. Would you like to do something for somebody else? Like, that's the word. That's, that's the phrase in there. Um, Jesus said, God has loved me in my past in a way that lets me know that Every day I arrive in my present, like it's going to be okay because he's done something for me to take care of me on that day. And I know every day I drive forward, the love that God has for me is going to be okay. Now watch this. Jesus said this 12 hours before he would hang on a cross. Jesus said, I know when I get to tomorrow that God's love for me is going to take care of me. It's going to completely take, no matter what I'm facing, and he knew what I was facing, when I get where I'm supposed to get, God's love is going to take care of me there because God has loved me, Jesus says. And Jesus says, I have loved you the exact same way. I have done something for you that every day of your life when you arrive where you are is going to have impact in your soul. That's how I have loved you. That's why we need to understand Jesus' mission before we can understand Jesus' words for us. So he says, keep my commands. Because I love you this way, I want you to keep my commands. And what are the commands? Well, thank God here to thrive in the spiritual life that Jesus created us for. Here he gives us a very, very specific command. Here's what I love. If Jesus would have just said, keep my commands, period, we would have like looked at this book and said, all of them? Like, which one? Jesus says, keep my command. But then he said, Here's the command. It's an easy one, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Keep my commands, love each other as I have loved you. So as we look at this, now that we understand a little bit about the Trinity, now that we understand a little bit about substitutionary atonement, we understand what Jesus is telling us and asking us. And we could say, okay, I have three applications for my new understanding. Application number one, God the Father and God the Son have existed and will exist in a relationship of perfect love and perfect spiritual community for all of eternity, and that's how Jesus loves me. For all of eternity, he wants to exist in a relationship with me, loving and serving and pursuing and receiving love from me. Now I understand that. Application number two, Jesus perfectly kept God the Father's command 
and completed his spiritual workforce through his death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus says you need to remember that every day. The words he would use were you need to remain in my work. Which means Jesus is saying this. Every time you get to a place in life, a day in life, where you wonder where I am. Remember I was at the cross. That's how much I love you and remember you are connected to God. On your best days, you're not connected to God because you're good. On your bad days, you're not disconnected from God because you're bad. Remain with me at the cross. Because you are with me, you are with God, Jesus would say. And then application number three would be this. We'll thrive spiritually if we keep the cycle of spiritual love and spiritual community with our spiritual family. That's actually what this message is about. It just took me a minute to get here so you can understand what Jesus was saying. We will thrive spiritually if we keep the cycle of spiritual love and spiritual community with our spiritual family. Jesus doesn't use the word thrive. He uses the word joy. But what he's saying is if you will do things the way I want you to do things, very specifically in spiritual community, you're going to have a lot of joy in life. You are going to thrive spiritually. So point number two is the joy of spiritual community. Look at verses 11 and 12. Everything I've said is just to lay the foundation for this point now. Jesus said, I've told you this. I've told you what? Underline. I've told you I love you like God loved me. So I got to know a little bit about Trinity. I've told you I obey God's command, substitutionary atonement, so you could obey my command. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we can have joy as followers of Jesus in two areas of spiritual community. One, we can have spiritual community with the Trinitarian God. You say, how do we do that? It sounds confusing. I would say it's not confusing. I would say it's clear, but because it's divine, it's not going to always make sense to us. But we can have spiritual community with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. We'll actually teach a little bit about that in our week of prayer, how God, <clears throat> God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all work as we pray and what that looks like. So hope you can be here for that. But we can have relationship with the Trinitarian God. Even though we don't understand how it works, we can lean into the clarity of what we're told. You say, how does that work? Works the exact same way as it worked for me. Last, went, last Thursday morning, I got on an airplane in Charleston, West Virginia. I took my son most of the way across the country to Liberty University. Then he dropped me off at the airport, and I flew back. And as we flew over the line of storms, it was kind of destroying some of the Ohio River Valley in the southeast. It was really, really bumpy. I trusted in that moment that the pilot in the plane would get me to where I needed to go. I had no knowledge that the pilot had. I do not know how airplanes work. I put my trust in what I believed was going to happen. I don't know everything how God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit works, but I know it's very clear we've been told that's how they work, so I can, I can live in spiritual community with them. I also... Number two, can experience spiritual community with the family of God. I can live in spiritual community with the family of God. And you need to understand this is an important point to Jesus. Do any of you have friends or family members that are getting a little old and they've started repeating themselves a little bit? Like they just tell the same story like over and over and over again like you've never heard it before. Don't look at them if they're here because they don't know that they do it yet. Um, if I ever begin to do that, please let me know. Do any of you have friends or family who, as they've gotten old, have begun to tell the same story? It was a test. 
It was a test. It was a test to make sure you're paying attention and that you'll help me not do that. Um, Jesus did not grow senile, but he did repeat himself from time to time. That only happened when what he was saying was really, really important. Not because he'd forgotten that he said it, but he wanted to make sure you didn't forget that he said it. So Jesus says, remain in my love as, as I love you. I want you to love others. He says that in John 15, 12, but it's the second time he said it in the same conversation. Because in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says the exact same thing to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says it verbatim. Because as he will explain in John 15, 12, the only way you can thrive and have spiritual joy, life that is really life in your life, is if you love your spiritual brothers and sisters like I loved you. Now, we would look at the word joy and say, I don't always experience joy living in spiritual community. But joy really comes more from obedience, like you heard Annalisa mention in her baptism testimony. Joy comes from obedience, not just the consequences of being obedient, but knowing you're close to God through obedience. Listen to how joy is described in the Bible. While not always easy, what Jesus is teaching us is the will of God and the life of the people of God will ultimately always lead to joy. But joy is found in the intimacy of obeying God. Look at joy in Hebrews 12 too. It doesn't sound like happiness, but it is the word God uses. The author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know that anyone would describe the cross as joyful, but it said it gave Jesus joy to fulfill God's commands for him because he knew what it would do for God and people. And the exact same word is used for us. Jesus is not saying it'll be easy or it'll be fun. He's saying it'll be impactful and allow you to really experience life if you love people like I love you. Now listen, I don't know anyone who's grown up in church or spent 10 or 12 years in a church who does not have some wounds from spiritual community, who does not have some pain from spiritual community, who has not experienced shame from spiritual community, who doesn't have scars like Jesus had scars for his joy. I don't know very many people who live a lifetime in spiritual community who aren't left with some scars from spiritual community. But Jesus says spiritual community is not always for you. And you don't live in spiritual community for the results that it will give you. The reason you live in spiritual community is not that the process is easy, but that the outcome honors me. The three words Jesus gives us for why we live in spiritual community are as I have. In John 13, 34 and in John 15, 12, the command of Jesus is to give to others the love we first receive from him. Jesus said, this is not a suggestion. If you're a follower of me who wants to thrive spiritually, you have to love your Christian brothers and sisters. You have to li live in some kind of spiritual community. It's how I've created you. So you heard me mention the COVID sucker punch that I wanted to talk to you about this morning. So for those of us who have led through like the last three years of what at times has been a lot of tension and a lot of misery of COVID, um, we've watched something interesting happen in the local church. 
And that's this. I really believe when COVID hit the American church, it was, it was Satan's desire that that would be the death knell to American Christianity. Most churches like our churches took at least three months off. We had 13 weeks where we did not gather publicly for services. No small groups, no serve in our community. With three months, we're just kind of everybody went home. Some churches in different parts of the countries were out for more than a year. And I thought, man, this is going to be the knockout punch to American Christianity. Because if people cannot go to church, there's no way they're going to be able to live for Jesus. And God literally counterpunched that plan. Because what happened for the most part is Christians learned how to walk with Jesus without going to church every Sunday. And real Christians got stronger. They learned how to read their Bible because they had to. They learned how to pray because they had to. They learned how to reach out in spiritual community and take care of one another because they had to. And what happened is you had a lot of Christians who, when COVID started, they bench-pressed about 100 spiritually. And when COVID ended, 13 weeks later, they bench-pressed about 300 spiritually because they learned how to walk with God on their own. And they got to the point at the end of COVID where they thought, holy cow, I am doing better spiritually than I've ever done, and I didn't even have to go to church. Believe it or not, that is the point of your individual faith journey. For you one day to be able to feed yourself and not need Sunday services to keep kind of pumping you up. But the sucker punch to the counter punch was this. A lot of people got to the end of the 13 weeks and said, now that I can walk with God without going to church, I guess I'll never go to church because I don't need it anymore. Jesus said when it came to spiritual community, you love spiritual community the same way he loved you. Jesus did not need to come to planet earth to be close to God. He was as close to God as he would ever be to God. But because he served God, he came down and he was close to other people. We have too many people who learned how to walk with God during COVID without coming to church, who are sitting at home right now because they watch 20 different online services because they don't need church to learn how to walk with God anymore who have missed the point that what we're doing here is not about them. It's about him. And what he has said is, I need the strongest of you, the people who now know how to walk with God without needing the church to pump you up every week. I actually need you to stay in the church, and I actually need you to take a team of people on the journey that you went on. Amen? Amen. Like, I don't need you to leave the church. I need you to help the church do what you have done. And there are too many people who think the suggestion of spiritual community is for like weak Christians who can't walk with God on their own. But Jesus is saying, I didn't need you, but I obeyed God. I was already with God, but I obeyed God and came and helped you. And I believe now God is calling some of you who have really gotten strong spiritually without spiritual community. He's not calling you out of spiritual community. He's calling you back in so you can help somebody else. D.A. Carson is one of the greatest living theologians of our day. He's called a Renaissance theologian because he writes and thinks so much like someone from 500 years ago. And he wrote on this text about the joy of obedience. He says, what is presupposed is that human joy in a fallen world will at best be ephemeral, which means very short-lived, shallow, incomplete, until human existence is overtaken by an experience of the love of God in Christ Jesus, the love for which we were created, a mutual love that issues in obedience without reserve. The Son does not give his disciples joy as a discrete package. He shares his joy insofar as they share his obedience, the obedience that willingly faces death to self-interest. 
So scripture says the more you grow up spiritually, the more you realize it's not just about you and God. It's about you and God and his people and his mission. And the stronger you get, the more you engage in spiritual community, not because you need them, but because you learn that they need you. He says the joy doesn't just come in knowing Jesus. The joy comes in being obedient to Jesus. And Jesus today says, here's my command. I need you to engage in spiritual community and love one another. One of my bucket list items is to eventually get to Northern California to see the Redwood Forest. I've only seen pictures, but I've studied it. And I can't wait to see it one day because of what I've learned spiritually about it. The redwood trees, a lot of them over 300 foot tall, which is bigger than a 30-story building. The average base of most of them is nearly 30 feet wide or 10 yards wide. You could drive a semi-truck through the base of most of them. And even though they're 300 feet tall and 30 feet wide, for the vast majority of them, their roots only go six feet deep. You say, man, how could a 300-foot tree stand in the wind when its roots are only six feet deep? The roots only go six feet deep, but they go a hundred yards in all directions from their base. And they wrap around the root system of every other redwood tree within a hundred yards of them. So literally, if one would fall, they would all have to fall. But because one stands, they all stand. It is a beautiful picture of spiritual community. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to go deep on our own that we don't think we need spiritual community. And God says, let me tell you what will help you stand. I want you to take your roots and I want you to tie them up with the roots of other people. And I want you to stand together. Because we just sang it. The winds are gonna come. The rain's gonna come. The storm is coming. But man, when your roots are tied together in spiritual community, when you're locked into spiritual community, you might sway, but you don't fall. So what has God said to you today about your spiritual community and what are you going to do about that? Our 2023 year journey is called come and follow. Our goal is that people will grow spiritually, be cared for spiritually, be developed spiritually. What the Bible tells us today in John chapter 15 is that doesn't happen alone outside of spiritual community. Some of you say I'm at the best spot of my life and I don't have spiritual community. That's really good. It means God's been preparing you to lead others. But nobody, according to this text today, is supposed to do it alone. As Jesus has been loved by God, he has loved us. And as Jesus has loved us, he wants us to love each other. That's really the two big parts of today's message. Jesus loves us the way God loved him. And he tells us to love each other the way he loved us. At the end of today's message, our atrium kind of has our discipleship track, groups, fair going on. That is, as you already heard Pastor Mike say, our opportunity for you to speed date through where you might find spiritual community in our church in 2023. As I drove my son back to Liberty University, 12 hours in a car on Wednesday, we created a plan for him for six weeks, every week for six weeks, for him to plug into a new source of spiritual community until he stuck. Because the thing he needs more than anything else at Liberty for the next year and a half to finish Wells Christian Friends. So I basically said, this is on you now. So every week for six weeks, you're going to plug into a group and you're going to see if your roots fit together. And we're not going to stop until your root grabs their root and you can stand together because it's the only way you're going to thrive spiritually. What's God said to you and what are you going to do about it? 
As we close our services at Journey, we always have a little time of prayer, meditations, and reflections. There'll be three questions on the screen. Each of them will be up there for one minute. At the end of three minutes, I'll come back and close us in prayer. At this point, I just want you to engage in your story. I want you to engage with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to figure out what next steps you need to take in this area. So God, open our hearts, open our minds. Give us courage to be honest. Give us commitment to move. Lord, we open our hearts to this time of prayer meditations to you. In Jesus' name, amen.